Penal Code 186.22. Anybody ever heard of that? Penal Code 186.22. So, anyone who willfully participates in a gang activities or joins together with members of a gang while carrying out a crime can be found guilty of violating gang enhancement laws. See, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s in Los Angeles where the murder rate was the worst it had ever been. They were averaging 1,500 murders in LA County. Out of those 1,500, there was over 600 of them were gang related. That's why they put those laws in effect. They just got tired of it. People got tired of their kids being killed, of the shooting, the drive-by shootings. People were just tired of it. And they voted into all these laws. And a lot of people didn't realize what they were voting in because some of their kids ended up being affected by some of these laws. Gilbert Bayo is speaking to middle school kids in Watsonville, California. At age 25, he too was profoundly affected by those laws he's talking about. You can get anywhere from six months to two years to 10 years to 20 years to 25 years to life added to your time. Welcome to Afterlife, Season 2 of Gray Area. We're following Gilbert as he experiences life after getting a life sentence in prison. When we left off in Episode 1, it was the late 1990s. Gilbert was arrested in East Los Angeles after he and another man shot at a rival gang's car to avenge a friend's murder. No one was struck by the bullets. There was no victim, and there were no eyewitnesses either. They surrounded me at gunpoint. I was like, just bay, like, please don't, don't shoot me. All I, all I wanted was not, not to get shot. He and his friend were arrested the same night, but they were sure the DA would drop the case and they'd be home within weeks. It didn't turn out that way. Gilbert and his buddy were members of a gang, and that's where Penal Code 186.22 came in. Passed in 1988, the anti-street terrorism law meant that despite a lack of direct evidence, Gilbert would face charges of gang-related attempted murder. He would also face gang and gun sentencing enhancements, made into law during that tough-on-crime era. Now all the DA needed was an expert witness, who nearly always came from law enforcement. The expert would take the stand and describe Gilbert's tattoos, his nicknames, his friends, and any other signs he was in a gang. The irony is that in Los Angeles County, the officer gang experts who testified might themselves be in a gang. You heard that right. Sean Kennedy runs the Center for Juvenile Law and Policy at Loyola Law School. He recently told The New Yorker magazine that as a former public defender, young clients would tell him, the gang expert against me is in a gang himself. We're going to hear more about LA's deputy gangs in a later episode. Back to Gilbert, to be clear, the allegation was true. He says he was part of a gang. So in addition to facing life in prison for the attempted murder, Gilbert faced a lot of extra time for the enhancements. Ten years for being in a gang, plus ten years because his co-defendant used a gun. And forget taking the witness stand in his own defense. We're discouraged from taking the stand because it's like snitching. Even in your own defense, because you have to point out shit. You know, you're going to have to explain something. I may have to spend the rest of my life in prison, and this may ruin a prison career as far as, like, you know, rising up in a 
the gang ruled in prison. When Gilbert says career here, he's talking about what's called prison politics, which we'll hear more about in just a bit. Did any of them see the shooting, any of the officers? No witness to the shooting. No witness at all? Zero, they had zero witness that a shooting even took place. Meanwhile, his younger brother, Manny, was just starting a 14-year prison term when Gilbert committed his crime in 1998. Gilbert had convinced Manny to take a plea deal to avoid a life sentence at all cost. Now I have to take my advice that I was giving to my brother. I was facing a life sentence with gang allegations, gun allegations. I was facing 35 years to life, basically. And I was trying to get a deal. I was avoiding my responsibility at the time for my participation. I denied it. I'm guilty. I did go over there and try to retaliate for a murder that was committed against one of my homeboys I grew up with. How I'm describing it right now was not where I was. I was in total denial. At the trial, Gilbert was convicted on all counts. He was sentenced to 24 years to life. Meanwhile, Gilbert's new career as a loyal prison gang member was about to begin. This is Roy Morales. He recently retired as a lieutenant in the Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office. He's recognized as an expert on California street and prison gangs, and he also grew up around gang culture. The difference between a street and a prison gang is their origins. So prison gangs' origins are behind the walls of the California prison system, i.e. the Mexican Mafia, the Nuestra Familia, the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, the Texas Syndicate. So at one time, th those were the big four. Street gangs have their origins on the street, mostly in neighborhoods. Those neighborhoods were mostly of low-income people that wanted some type of belonging. So they found that sense of belonging, that sense of family with other teens with similar backgrounds. So that was really the beginning of street gangs. And what happens when a street gang member goes to prison? They get overwhelmed. It's a brand new world to them. So either they're going to join a prison gang for what they've long said is protection, or sometimes just because they want to. There are those people that want to join that type of lifestyle while in the California prison system or in any prison system. That networking is, it's amazing. For example, somebody can land at the reception center in San Quentin. They meet other prison gang members who have this established network with all the other prisons, right? So then they start meeting people from throughout the state of California with similar backgrounds, with similar belief systems. So that sense of belonging to a prison gang really hits home with them. And if they went into prison and didn't want to join the gang, would there be consequences? There's major consequences. There's always those people that they run into, other neighborhood kids with that similar background, and they may feel pressure to back up that person that's from their neighborhood. If not, then there are those serious consequences because now they're going to be seen as weak, not wanting to back up their own people. So then they have to find protection, and that could be by talking to prison officials for uh, protective housing. So what does it mean when a street gang member's just been sentenced to, you know, prison for the first time and he talks about his career? What does he mean? That means what they've done to earn um, their current status. It's like looking at a career resume. 
They're starting with their first job, which could be an assault on somebody that they either was a rival or perceived rival. And then they can graduate when they get into county jail. Now they're being asked by more sophisticated gang members to do an assault involving some type of weapon. And then when they get to prison, it's like an interview process, right? When they get to Quentin, and now they're literally having to sit one-on-one -on -one with a recruiter for a prison gang. And it's like a job interview, and now they have to prove, well, who'd you hang out with? Those are just like uh, career references on a resume, but it's a criminal resume. And that continues through until they graduate or they get hired with that corporation that for somebody from the Central Coast could be the Nuestra Familia prison gang. People from Southern California would answer to the Mexican Mafia if you're of Hispanic descent. Okay. Prison politics is just like any job, right? It's a form of politics, right? You can relate that to our current political system. You compare that now to the prison gangs, to any gangs. When you're non-political, that means you stepped away from that. Same thing behind the walls or even on the street. That transfers to the streets of you know, our nation as well. how much you know about the criminal mind or when you grow up that way, but when you show up to prison after committing a crime, you're not thinking about change. You're talking, you're, you're thinking about your career. You're not going to be honest, man. Untreated trauma, you'll see anger, insomnia, nightmares, anxiety, depression, phobia, substance abuse, irritability, hopelessness. This is the kind of things that go on inside of a person, the majority of people showing up to prison, that goes unaddressed. I was trying to figure out how do I make this happen? How do I live my life in prison not knowing if I'm ever going to get out? Um, so that, you know, that one bad decision I made that night, till this day, there's still consequences that I face. Eventually I got put on investigation. The gang unit, they come and cuff me up, take me to the hole. All I know is I'm under investigation for gang activity. So I'm thinking it's something I did that's coming back to haunt me and then come and tell me that I showed up on a hit, basically, like to be hit, to be removed. You're on a hit list. Yeah. A prison gang, it was the parent company, if you will, to his little neighborhood crew, had put what's called a green light on him, a hit. The gang cops put Gilbert in isolation, administrative segregation, or what's more commonly known as the hole. So the gang cops are watching his every move, but so is the prison gang he's now in trouble with. The gang's leaders apparently thought his neighborhood crew did something wrong, and now he was going to have to answer for it. After spending his youth risking his life and going to prison for his neighborhood gang, the higher-up leaders in prison had turned on him. I was in there for a few months, and you go to these little hearings, and the gang unit would come to my hearings and tell me, hey, we have this place, we have these other yards, you can go to, it's like 50-50. And I'm like, what the hell is 50-50? And he said, there's guys from this gang, this gang, and this gang, that's where they're at. And I'm 
I was like, I'm playing because you don't talk to them. I'm still functioning under this belief system. Like, you don't tell them nothing. You never cop to nothing. You don't volunteer shit. Don't say nobody's name. So I'm just, don't know what you're talking about. Nope, don't know him. Nope, 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 nope. Gilbert says he hated getting that green light. Before this, he was the one enforcing his own gang's rules. Now the table's turned. It had nothing to do with me other than I was from the gang that violated that code. I had so much hate for the way I was treated after all that I went through with the people in prison. It pushed me away where I was like, man, that's some bully ass behavior, you know? Like they're treating me like a sex offender or they're treating me like I'm a punk. I didn't do nothing wrong. Why am I being targeted this way? Like, I didn't sign up for this. But you can't say that. You can't tell nobody that. I know better. I know better because I've been on both sides of this, this equation now. In the end, his three-year-old daughter, Marlena, weighed heavily in his decision to go to the 50-50 yard. He knew his relationship with her mother was over, but he was trying to figure out if he could still have a relationship with his daughter. If I didn't have my daughter and at least half of the hardest decisions I ever had to make while I was incarcerated doing life, especially the early years, I probably would still be there or I, I wouldn't be alive. I was starting to question it. Is it worth me spending, giving my life every day to just die in here because nobody was going home? So Marlena helped me in those dark times. Not knowing if I'm ever gonna get out, what are my responsibilities now? Is it better I just cut myself out and just hopefully she just moves on? So I'm not like continue to cause more hurt or more damage in whatever way it comes. Emotionally, psychologically, like, do I just not call, not write, and just stay away? Or what would it look like? What contact can I have? I could write letters. I could call on the phone. I'll do visits. Now I just got to make sure that I don't mess that up. Because is her mom going to bring her to see me? She has the power to cut my ties. How long is she willing to do that? for the rest of my life, because I'm probably going to die here. Nobody came out of this unscathed. Nobody. My family, me, nobody did. Everybody paid a consequence in different ways. Ultimately, he decided to leave the prison politics. He was transferred to a new yard known as the Sensitive Needs Yard, or SNY. The SNY was full of men who came from every gang imaginable, men who'd also made the decision to leave that chapter behind them. Gilbert decided he liked the yard's laid-back pace, and he even reconnected with a few old friends. I was still an active gang member from my neighborhood, so I just seen it as like, I'm independent. I'm gonna do my own thing. You know, all these homies know me, they know why I'm here, I didn't do nothing wrong. So you're basically pulling away from the prison politics, yes. but you still identify with your neighborhood. Yeah, just my neighborhood. I'm still hanging around with the knuckleheads and 
you know, I'm still doing a lot of the same stuff. I'm partying, I'm drinking, I'm making pruno. Pruno is prison hooch, basically booze made from anything that will ferment. Could be a mix of fruit, candy, even bread or ketchup. I'm making this pruno and it's pretty strong. I started making it when I was in Youth Authority. That's where I learned how to do it. So mostly everything I learned in Youth Authority, how to survive, doing long stretches, kind of carried over with me. So I knew how to cut hair. I knew how to tattoo. I knew how to draw, pencil, pen. Those kind of skills is, is a good resource to have in there. It's basically a micro world of the bigger world out here. There's drugs in there, there's a black market, there's money in there, there's cell phones in there. Name it, it's in there. But I was still... I was still... I was still functioning under the same belief system. And then what changed? How did you change? In the next episode of After Life, we'll find out what it took for Gilbert to come home, but also how he and others revolutionized the role incarcerated people themselves play in rehabilitation throughout California's prisons. This episode was co-produced by Mara Reynolds and Gilbert Bale. You can check out all our episodes and show notes at grayareapodcast.com, and that's gray with an A. You can also find all the stories from season one there, if you're curious about solitary confinement and prison gang politics, be sure to listen to Season 1's Episode 4, where Louis Hammonds tells the story of a random act of kindness in a supermax prison that changed him. The music for this episode is by Nuisance, Holizna, CC0, and Ketza. Thanks again to all the amazing artists at the Free Music Archive. The details are on our website. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit www.calhum.org. For Gray Area, this is Julie Reynolds Martinez, and this is Season 2, After Life.